This is the Master of Cinema Cast. My name is Joachim. And my name is Tom Jennings. And today we have with us Craig Skinner again. Thank you so much for joining us, Craig. Hi there, my pleasure. Okay, so before we talk about this episode's uh, film, I thought we could talk about the news that just happened a couple of days ago. The release of André de Tort's Day of the Outlaw. Um, I never even heard of this film before, but reading up on this, and I was also listening to Criterion cast off the shelf uh, this morning, I heard that André de Tort, he actually worked as a second unit director on like Jungle Book and Lawrence of Arabia and Superman. Uh, and it's, uh, it sounds like an interesting character as well as making these sort of low-budget westerns that he's most recognised for. I've never heard of it, I have to say. So, I, I mean, I don't know anything about him or this film. So, But from what you've just said then, um, it certainly perked my interest. Hmm. Um, there seem to be a lot of westerns coming out at the moment on Master Cinema. As yeah. well. It seems to be kind of going in, um, which isn't a bad thing, because I do love that no, genre no, no. so much. But um, I... It's, it's it's one of those with these types of films where I'm always, if I've never heard of it, that instantly interests me and, mm-hmm. and I have some on this one. So, I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, I, I look forward to seeing it. I, I think as well, Andre, you're right. I think Andre Zatoff is a fascinating character. I, I'm not that familiar with his films, although I can't think off the top of my head, but I know I've definitely seen a couple. But he uh, he's popped up in a lot of behind the scenes sort of making of type documentaries and things that I've watched. Well, maybe not behind the scenes but like uh films about old hollywood he kind of pops up because mm. he's quite a he's quite visually a striking character as well from what i remember um yeah married to veronica lake as well oh uh, yeah well i've just googled he wears an eye patch so <laughs> he does yeah. he, he, he goes up 10 a factor of 10 on the cool uh <laughs> on the cool status yeah Andre the Tot's Day of the Outlaw, it will receive a tool format uh, release in uh, December the 7th. But other than that, I don't think there's any news. So um, today we'll be talking about uh, Sam Fuller's 1952 film Park Row. But Craig, what's your sort of relationship with uh, Sam Fuller? And have you seen his earlier films before Park Row? Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Sam Fuller and... Uh... Um, when you asked me what film I'd quite like to talk about, uh, it was the one that first came to mind, to be honest. Well, Sam Fuller films first came to mind, and then I mm. immediately went to Park Row because it, it was a film I think I watched relatively early when I was going through his films and uh, kind of discovering him for myself. And uh, Park Row is just, it seems his most personal film, and it's a kind of a strangely romantic film despite all the violence and ugliness that that happens in it and i i, I just absolutely love it to be honest uh, so i was kind of uh, itching to talk about this one in particular uh, but yeah i i think i might have seen pretty i think there's only maybe one sam fuller film i haven't seen i haven't seen shark i think that's the only one but um okay yeah i've watched a couple of films that he's written as well cuz he did um he wrote quite a few films before this one and before uh, Steel Helmet too, um, mm. and yeah, they're, they're all fascinating films. And uh, he's such an interesting and vibrant, or was such an interesting and vibrant filmmaker. He's always kind of uh, interested me, definitely. Mm. Tom, what about you? Uh, my first exposure to Sam Fuller came when I saw The Big Red One, uh, and that was absolutely years ago. Um, it came on Sky. 
and it was kind of going through that phase when I we just, I think we were one of the first adopters of Sky, and it, it was one of the uh, they they just started a classics channel I think or something like that, and this film came on and I remember being interested because in it, it had Mark Hamill in it, in the only other film I had I, I obviously only knew him from Star Wars, so that kind of amazed me, and I remember thinking it was kind of it looked quite cheap but was really quite brilliant, and it's a film which I kind of followed me really through my life because I saw it again at university up on the big screen and really liked it then and it came out a few years ago I think it's about 2004 um there was kind of like a director's kind of reconstruction type thing that went on and that was really the only kind of Sam Fuller film I watched for quite a long time and then I kind of got I kind of went for a bit of a splurge room really because I picked up the criterions of Shot Corridor and The Naked Kiss which I both really enjoyed um I think we talked about White Dog didn't we because that came out on the uh we talked about it, yeah, yeah in yeah. that uh, end of year wrap up show, yeah. Which I kind of, I, I, I think kind of, uh, I, I was interested to go back to it, but I mean, since then I've kind of, I've seen things like I shot Jesse James, the Baron of Arizona, um, sorry, the Baron of Arizona, Steel Helmet, and yeah, he's a, he's a director who I, I really, I really do like his work. It's, um, it's always been kind of interesting to me. Um, there's a few on there I haven't seen, which I, I definitely kind of want to check out and uh, go back to. But they, I actually there was a. Um, about I think about three years ago in Manchester they had a day where they uh, they showed loads of his films on the big screen it had a bit of a kind of a Sam Fuller kind of appreciation day and I remember it was a particularly frosty one and as I went to leave my house I slipped over and banged my knee and couldn't actually walk so I couldn't make it so that was massively disappointing to me and I've, I've kind of, it, it was it was the point of one opportunity to go and get and see a load of those films projected up in thirty five millimeter but yeah I, I'm a I'm a big fan of his work. Hmm. Uh, I think my first experiences with uh, Fuller was through Criterion um, a couple of years ago with Shock Corridor and The Naked Kiss. And I remember uh, especially Shock Corridor, that really like grabbed me and made me keen on watching more of his films. But um, I didn't get around to many of them until that Eclipse set came out. Um, and they also were released on Hulu. So I watched those uh, first three ones, um, along with other fuller films that have come out since on the uh, MOC label. So um, my impression of Fuller is that he is someone that I can be very much entertained by. Uh, he, He usually sets up the movie very quickly and gives it to you like full throttle throughout and in very quick pace uh and when i want to be mm, entertained and perhaps i don't find his film films too deep but they're so visceral and so like in your face that you can you can't help but enjoy yourself when you're watching them and that's especially true for this one as well there's a certain depth though that i think is so direct with sam fuller's films that mm. it it kind of doesn't feel like depth in a way that i i sometimes find his films because he's so blunt with the point that he's making it doesn't yeah. feel like they're particularly yeah. deep but actually they're just as deep as another film that does the same thing but subtly um so i i kind of i i agree with you but the 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 there is a little bit with the, with the depth that I do think is there, but um, mm. it, it somehow gets lost because he's quite a, um, 
I don't know. <laughs> I can't think how to phrase it because I can't think of a way that's not doesn't sound like a pejorative. But <laughs> direct is the best way I can put it. A generous yeah, way. Perhaps perhaps depth isn't the right word, but he's, yeah. you you get his point, even yeah. though his point is well made. But you, you're not trying to find what the film is about. You can instantly know. And he, it's usually yeah, you're right. He he does tackle like complicated issues and deal with things that are quite like serious and very relevant often mm. but uh, you're not um, you're not sitting there searching for it it's in your face basically yeah it's not deep in the way of uh, being something you have to hunt for is it <laughs> definitely no. not <laughs> no, but I, I think the thing is, is you don't have to kind of like look into the kind of the the minuscule moments in a character's performance to see what they're thinking with Sam it's just it's just there open mm. and his characters, his characters seem very. They seem to very much know what it is they want. Yeah, um, he kind of skirts those um, yeah, those minuscule moments. He doesn't kind. Of, you don't get the kind of the fleeting glimpse with him. You more get the no. the fist coming out the screen <laughs> and, and giving you a good slap in the face. It's like, I guess it's like how sometimes when you need good, hard, honest advice. <laughs> and your friends start skirting around the issues and really what you want to be told is that you've been an idiot and you need to sort yourself out that's what <laughs> Sam for the films are like to me it's like you know I'm not going to try and kind of we're not going to take 10 minutes to say something which I can do in 10 seconds and yeah. for that there's a there's a kind of honesty to that which I kind of really enjoy because you <laughs> can just sort of sit there and like I mean, certainly we were talking about it in Park Row but at kind of like whatever it was like 80 minutes or something like that I feel like there was so much going on in that film that was crammed into that time but I didn't perhaps need the kind of the the nuances that perhaps you might have got with someone else who could have stretched it out for a good two and a half hours hmm. I'm yeah. just saying this because I've just come off back, off watching um, God Almighty what was that Russian insane Russian film that I've just been watching that name escaped me Hard to Be a God yeah and my mind's still a little bit mental from that, trying to work, <laughs> trying to work everything out. So going back and watching Park Row, it was like, oh God, this is great because I know exactly what's going on and I know exactly what people think. <laughs> and it, it was kind of like it was the perfect tonic for some sort of kind of cerebral nightmare that of, of I just subjected myself to. You can you can sort of sense his background as a journalist himself. I mean, he started working in the newspaper business when he was 12 and he was a reporter himself and covered the crime beats when he was 17. And he then moved on to fiction uh, novels at uh, 22 and wrote his first screenplay at 29. So you can sort of sense that um, sort of um, determinedness and how he brings his own journalistic qualities to the screenplay of being very sharp and on the point. Yeah, there's a there's a brevity, isn't there? That he, uh, if you if you read anything that Sam Fuller's written as well, it's all nice, short, punchy sentences that get to the point mm. quickly. And he's, I think it it's telling as well that he started in so, slightly kind of well tabloid journalism to some degree and slightly mm -hmm. grubby journalism to some degree as well. He wrote for the Graphic, which wasn't you know, the highest of, uh, uh, it, you know, you wouldn't kind of class it in the same way as broadsheets perhaps, but it, of the impression I get anyway, but it, 
he had his kind of morals and stuff, but that didn't mean he wasn't kind of punchy and in search for good story. And it, mm. it's one of the things I like in uh, Park Row, and I, I generally like in all of Sam Fuller's films, is that he doesn't shy away from the the truth that might be a little bit ugly about things that people do. Park Row's an amazingly idealistic film, but there's still bits in it where you think, that's not the best thing that they could have done in that circumstance. <laughs> or that's probably not the best. You know, there's that moment where um, he's trying to start the paper at the very beginning and uh, he gives the older guy a collection of all the other papers and uh, asks him to, he says something, I think I might have written it down. He says, uh, uh, steal everything you can, but make it fresh. Like, yeah. basically, <laughs> he's basically telling him to rip off all the other papers. Uh, which, which isn't isn't exactly the most ethical thing to do, but uh, Sam Fuller's like you know the higher ideal is more important, uh, yeah. you know, and this is the reality. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Like, but this is obviously a very personal project for him, and he sank all his money into the production. I think the production was about two hundred thousand, so it wasn't like a huge budget film, and he filmed it at about. I mean, some say 10 days, others say 14. So you can sort of sense these um, shortcuts, both in the script, but also in just the filmmaking uh, with how he, he cuts a few corners with some like optical printing glues uh, in some stages where he, you can sense that he's using the same image, but he's just zooming in. Um... Yeah, I mean, I'm always one for, I mean, you say £200,000, but in, in that, in, I mean, when it's your own money, and it's just a lot of money, you know, and when, especially kind of when it's filmed, I mean, you know, I'm sure it went a lot further than, than you know, we kind of ascribe, trying to assign kind of like a modern amount to it. But I mean, it is a film where you can, you are aware of the fact that it's obviously operating on a, a slightly smaller budget. And I mean, there's some, some of the side streets are just, they're Doctor Who levels of, of <laughs> fake. But saying that, I was never taken out of the film to the point where if you watch something like Superman, The Quest for Peace, it's a it's a work of comedy genius on the fact that it's so obviously horrendously under budget. And obviously mm. it's a completely rubbish story. You do find yourself taking out of it. I didn't find that at all with Park Row, even though there was a kind of... I could clearly see the artifice, which was kind of brought on by the fact that it didn't have a great deal of money into it. But when the kind of... The, when I was so kind of down with the story, and that's the most important thing, and I think it probably comes back to this kind of journalistic... Um, background that he has when the film is so centered on this really kind of breezy easygoing story yeah, to me that's just completely just that that completely sucks me in and I, I don't find myself kind of gazing into those sets i can look at them and go oh that's clearly fake but it doesn't bother me as much as perhaps it would do in something else mm. well i think his his set his stories are just intoxicating i think park row is very much that and I think I I'm totally with you I get absolutely sucked in and forget some of those things even even the things that you know upon rewatches I, I sometimes think oh my god how did I not notice that really dodgy <laughs> shot there that, that um you know I, I watched the film two or three times and didn't notice because I was so sucked up in it um but yeah that he said uh I read his autobiography years ago and he said in there that um I kind of reread a few bits of it recently and there's a bit where he's talking about Daryl Zanuck and he says that one of the reasons he loved or went for Daryl Zanuck over a lot of other producers is because he seemed to care about the story and uh, that seems to be Sam Fuller's approach that it's all about the story and you know that's filmmaking it's storytelling and if if he has to cut some corners or 
he has to kind of make some concessions. He's willing to if if the story is not too effective, you know, as long as people mm. are still sucked in by the story. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you think about kind of, I mean, even when we spoke about White Dog when I was watching that film, um, that, that's a film that, he, he seems to be one of those directors. I mean, I, 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 I know people like this as well who they're kind of constantly sat around with with screenplays and stuff and they're filmmakers themselves, but they're kind of constantly waiting for like a cheque for £2 million to come when they've got access to all the equipment and the actors they need. So they should just go and film it and just be done with it. And I get the impression when I was watching White Dog, I thought this is probably someone who, you know, just found a decent story that he really, really enjoyed, you know, really wanted to make and went and made it. And I feel that with Park, with Park Row, there's, there's a sense that this is obviously a story that he felt very personal to. He got enough money to make the story that he wanted. Yeah, he could have. You could have. You, he could have had ten times the amount of money that he had, and still made this film, and it would still have been as good as it is with the money that it was made. And I think that's something I, re- I really admire, admire him. It's something kind of almost kind of like Orson Welles like about him. You know, he, mm-hmm. he despite the fact that we kind of like think of Orson Welles as being kind of the great kind of. I guess the kind of the the the, the one of the, yeah, the 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 sad Hollywood tale of the kind of the genius. He, he was still he's always making films, awesome Wells. Let's not forget that. I mean, F the Fake, you know, he made for virtually nothing on his own. And I, I get that impression with Sam Fuller as well. This is someone who was first and foremost had that instinct as a storyteller and wanted to go and do that and and does it really well. And if the story is there, then everything else I think kind of fades into the background. Hmm. Well, for me. Um... I actually was quite pulled in by just the the filmmaking that he he portrays in the film. Even though you can sort of recognise that it's lower budget, he just crams every scene with like innovation and some terrific performances. But he has that sort of fluidity of the camera and just some sheer dynamism and that interplay between the actors and the camera and just how fluid it all feels like the the opening of the film where it has this like high tracking shot in the streets and then it sort of flows into the bar and within like 10 minutes you feel like you've seen almost one continuous shot from the statue of Gutenberg to inside the scene in the bar and we're, we're already introduced to all of the characters and everything is set up and it's just so it's just so simple and economical and yet does pack a punch and just the way that the camera sort of eavesdrops between these easily distinguishable characters but it it sets them up really nicely and never cuts and sort of establishes just kind of this is one person this is the other it all feels very very fluid well there's that that way that they often even if they don't talk all over each other, it kind of feels like there's a hubbub going on where they're all yeah. all chatting. And yeah, you're you're totally right about the the setting up of each character. Is you could stop the film halfway through, I think, with anyone who's never seen it before, and they could tell you kind of what they think of the characters in it, which just seems extraordinary for a film that's so short and has quite a lot of characters, really, a lot, a lot hmm. of minor side characters. But you know even if you know something broad about them that's often enough and there's that that wonderful uh i'm sure we'll probably talk about the the longer shot that's very famous but there's the the wonderful long shot where he uh describes the paper that he would make if he yeah. had the money and the camera just slowly tracks across all the people at the bar as they're they're looking uh kind of 
I don't know, wistfully <laughs> thinking yeah. about. They're all kind of idealistically thinking, like we are maybe <laughs> thinking, God, that'd be great. And you're thinking, well, you know, it's that again, really blunt filmmaking, really. Sam Fuller's essentially uh, an ex newspaper man who's, uh, you know, they're talking about making a newspaper for newspaper men, you know, that it gets described as a newspaperman's newspaper. And you think this is like a, a newspaperman's newspaper film you know and it, mm, it's yeah, that yeah. sound that character is sam fuller telling you what he thinks a newspaper should be and then he <laughs> shows you a bunch of people who agree with him <laughs> and he's kind of like crafted this this sort of shot that just illustrates you know there's 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 other people that agree with this and then you know who's on phineas's side as well it it, it tells you quite a bit about what, what you need to know about the film going in yeah and, and you you kind of you know from just the fact that phineas is talking about the kind of I guess how he sees the kind of the dumbing down of the media, and they're all kind of agreeing with him. And you know that these guys are kind of they've been in this industry, and you know that you know there's a backstory there how they've kind of gone from being idealistic to picking up their wage, mm. getting a little bit comfortable, towing the line a bit, and it, it's one of those kind of I mean it's one, it's one of the kind of films the things I, I did i mean i won't i won't just know i did laugh out loud at this film a few times and the bit that got, kind of got me was when he's talking about this paper and this guy suddenly goes oh hey i've got loads of money and everything <laughs> you need to make it and, and i was like i was like oh that's convenient you know and then it's like and then, and then one night they're like right let's start a newspaper and there's no kind of like it, it, it all seems and then like suddenly like a kid walks in oh you can do the distribution oh you know and, it, and i mean I, well, yeah, I was laughing at the kind of the craziness of it but it again because you kind of with moves them and you're down I and mean, it's like we've all, we've all got that kind of thing i mean I, you know my job i i, I suppose on paper i have a really a really great job but you know what sometimes it gets really really boring as well at the same time and you sort of sit there thinking christ you know i, I wish to kind of i wish we were doing bigger stuff and all i want is for someone to come along and go hey i've got loads of money that sounds like a great <laughs> idea yeah it just and it, it's one of those kind of like it's, it's one of those moments that only happens in films yeah. And, it, yeah, and it's but you can yeah, you, you obviously have to kind of suspend your disbelief and i i totally did because i although i was laughing at it i was like oh great they're gonna go and start their, their kind of their newspaper and oh yeah off they too <laughs> well, well also it's kind of that thing of like you were saying about the the feeling like saying i love hard to be a god but um you're saying about kind of the, the feeling of uh, watching that and then watching the sam fuller film and the difference uh and if you watch uh something like hard to be a god it's like being intoxicated in a in a drunken stupor but like sam fuller films like just a, a shot straight to your head like like cinematic yeah. caffeine almost and <laughs> i really like that kind of uh let's just cut to the chase what's the actual story like he could have had a lot of scenes explaining how it got to that point where that guy really came from with all the money and you know some some exposition or you know really elegant exposition but that would have taken time and he, he doesn't really want to mess around with that because that's not the story that he wants to tell the story he wants to tell is the bit about the paper so he goes what's the most convenient quickest way i can get to the bit that i actually want to do so <laughs> he just cuts straight to that bit and uh i quite like that because it's that that thing of you don't sit down and kind of think right oh where's this story going you don't get a chance to think about where it's going to go and think about what the story is it's already started and you're just thrown straight into it and i, I love that for the the uh, character of the kid the rusty character who's just essentially he's like our, our, that famous kind of thing of a door into the story he he provides the, the surrogate a little bit for the audience of their way into the film 
um, mm. but in a in a different way to how we're used at seeing it as a protagonist. But he he kind of just shows up every now and again to help Sam Fuller explain something. So it's it's, it's, such, it's such a kind of you'd think lazy, but it's not. It's it's an efficient way of just getting a bit of exposition into the film or an explanation of a term. So well, oh, what's it's it? sorry, it's Ellen Page. It's no, it's, it's Ellen Page in Inception. <laughs> oh, but it's, it's, every, every every time there's a question like, oh, why does that do that? Well, it does that because of this. Here are the rules of this film, and it, that, you know, that kid just turns up every now and then, like you say, and it's kind of like, oh, here's Tiny Tim to tell us. <laughs> You know, to, to to kind of explain things a little bit. I mean, the the one um, the one character that that God God Almighty, I mean, bless him, was what's the old guy called? Um, the one who's kind of constantly sermonising. Oh, I can't remember his name, but yeah. Oh no, I know who you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the but... one I mean though. But he, I mean, his lines are hilarious because it, it's like this, the film just suddenly goes. Well, I've got to be a little bit profound now, and a little bit deep and meaningful. <laughs> and it's only kind of it's, it, it, literally I think sometimes he's actually got his arm round kind of Phineas and kind of saying you know this is this is this is what we're doing is important and in my day and it suddenly gets all kind of like very earnest and preachy almost and we kind of get this kind of little essay into how important the media is and <laughs> then it kind of steps back again and loads of stuff are happening and it, whilst he's back to me, I was thinking this is ridiculous I love it and that was, that was you know <laughs> This is this is obviously like a hard punch for moral journalism yeah. and an assault on newspapers who misuse their power to destroy. And even though that's sort of the premise of the film, but it's funny how Mitchell, he's like toting morals and how newspapers shouldn't be exploiting their power. And yet the first story he does... <laughs> It's he basically throws the man into the hands of the coppers, and he exploits the situation and he manipulates it and he sets it up so that he has the man arrested and then he himself is going to write the story to free him. I mean, he stages the whole thing. <laughs> but it's, it's the thing of like the simplicity of Sam Fuller's approach, which I think comes up a lot, is that yeah, but he was on the right side, and I, yeah. I don't agree with that, but. It, there's a there's kind of a joy to be had in that sort of confidence of like, yeah, it's okay to maybe do the wrong thing, but if you're doing it for the right reasons, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. There's a, exactly. The, um, there's a film, uh, a previous film that he made where he wrote called The Power of the Press, which is kind of, it, I kind of feel like maybe Park Row, he wanted to make Park Row even more because The Power of the Press didn't really pan out how he probably would have wanted it. Um, I think he's talked about that before, but I can't really remember anything in particular where he's talked about it. But um, in the power of the press, there's a there's a kind of an evil newspaper tycoon, and then another editor turns up who really kind of doesn't feel like he's that much better, but he's definitely on the right side, or what you understand <laughs> to be the right side, and he, he's kind of doing things that are questionable, but. As long as it's for the the war effort or whatever, you know, whatever yeah. the thing is that that Fuller's definitely saying is the right thing, then it's okay. And uh, I kind of like that directness, and you get the sense that it's come out of maybe not so much quite back then, but now in Park Row and definitely his late films that it's come out of his time in fighting in World War Two as well. That he saw the kind of ugliness and the fact that things, you know, aren't. It's very easy to have 
certain ethical viewpoints, but then when you're down to the nitty gritty of it, that you have to make a cold, hard decision. And, you know, mm-hmm. they're not always decisions that are good, but if ultimately you're going for something good, it's, it's worth doing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's time to talk a little bit quickly about charity. <laughs> because I mean, if, if ever, if I mean, she might as well come out with a caption saying, "This woman's a baddie," <laughs> and, and, and I mean, what a baddie as well. I mean, I it, it was, it was. I don't know. She was like something out of the the children's Christmas play. You know, when you go to the pantomime and you kind of everyone boos, and it, it was just one of these kind of brilliant performances. I think it was from Mary Welsh. I don't recall ever seeing anything with her in it before, but I just loved how she was kind of. She, she she was so she was so evil to begin with, and I thought, oh, you know, I, I'm completely loving her. But it, it was in her kind of the, the, the character of her, her as well. She was she suddenly goes from being this kind of I don't know, like evil version of Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> well, when, kind of when you du- said when you said the pantomime thing, I, and I was thinking, I wonder if he's going to say that's a bad thing because I was going to say, well. Rupert Murdoch's a pantomime villain. <laughs> yeah, no, this is it. But she, she, she was brilliant. I mean, because she reminded me of so many people. And when she turned up, I was so disappointed in her when she kind of got a bit kind of... When she turned up in that coat. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make that, any sense. Oh, really? I, like this... I love that scene. I think that scene's brilliant. I, I think that's that wonderful bluntness again that he does in the costume design. He, he changes her outfit from black to white. Uh, <laughs> just like She's going to try and be good, but she's so kind of inept at that point in trying to be good. That she, just... <laughs> she, goes, she just goes from this kind of like, oh, you know, the next thing she's, oh, oh, I think I love him. Like, why? Why do you love him? You know, he's going to yeah. actually crush for breakfast. And, in, and I love the fact that, you know, she's, she's like, do anything, kill all, you know, destroy the paper. So they literally take her word for it. And then she's like, oh, no, 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 I, I didn't mean literally. <laughs> I, I love you. And it's like, I've sat there laughing at it, thinking, but totally going on with it as well. Cause I was, and, and to me, that was, I, I guess, kind of, he must have thought this, this film needs something for... Uh, just a little, you know, a little, a hint of romance. So I won't even attempt at doing a kind of deep, meaningful romance. I'll literally just have this woman love the person that she's trying to actually destroy. Hmm. Which seems, I mean, when she turned up and was being all kind of seductive on him, I was like, is, 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 she, is she on drugs? Is is this the same character? Who who is this? <laughs> you know, well, what's? I was a little bit kind of taken out of it for a moment, but I mean, it was again. I, I guess it's that kind of. I just give it a big fat pass. Yeah. No, sorry. No, I was going to say, like, in Titanic, you're like, oh, come on. Yeah. What, you, really? <laughs> really? Uh, you know, really? You've fallen in love with him in, like, three days? Yeah, come on. But, and, but this, I mean, this is, like, a thousand times less convincing than that. <laughs> and I was still like, oh, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah, but it's, yeah, I think on the one hand, you, the believability of it all just it falls through but it sort of makes up for it in it's just sheer like optimism and it's actually quite refreshing watching a film that doesn't attempt to convince you it just does it yeah and i mean i might be treading that thin line of controversy here the love story in casablanca between rick and Whatever I don't name. think you should continue this <laughs> no, avenue that, that, now, that, sir. I, I, I don't see what those two... I, I don't see the epic love there. 
<laughs> I see one hazy flashback in which they have a pretty good time in Paris, but I don't, I don't, I don't. I, I've never, I've never bought that love story at all. Hmm. And it, it, it's always was slightly. Bo- oh, I do love Casablanca. Don't get me wrong, but it's, I've yeah. always thought, well, come on, you know, this was that was just a fling. That wasn't the love of your life. Don't, don't, don't be pretending. Blade <laughs> there is, Runner. There is that's a, another one. There is a kind of a cinematic convention though of people falling in love very quickly and very easily. Yeah. And I think, but I think in a way, Sam Fuller kind of gets that and is kind of playing yeah, of with course. it. I mean, there's a exactly. fam- there's a famous quote about him saying that um, when he was trying to get funding for this, that. He was told that it's a love story between a man and his linotype machine, and no one's going to want to watch that. So I do wonder if he, even though he he isn't the kind of person that's going to say that he's going to bow to any sort of suggestion of that, but I wonder if he wrote the the romantic angle in a little bit more because he thought. No, I I, I, I totally. I, I I to me it was a complete screenwriting device all day long. Mm-hmm. The love story. There's just no. The film doesn't. If you take that out and have them still trying to kind of do one over on each other. And it's her kind of, you know, at the end, she's there to kind of represent, if she sees the light, doesn't she? That um, tabloid journalism's, you know, not the way forward. Yeah, you know, like we say about the story that he's trying to peddle. Yeah. It's, hard, it's hardly Watergate, is it? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not exactly, you know, a guy jumps off a bridge and survives and gets arrested. Yeah, wow. And then it's obviously got this whole kind of thing going on with the Statue of Liberty. But yeah, it, it doesn't strike me as kind of highbrow journalism and, and the other thing as well that got me about this was i guess just the age they like four editions in one day <laughs> who has that much time to read i don't say like three pages and stuff i mean I, I subscribe to time magazine and i'm like almost two weeks behind now i'm reading things about you know I'm, I'm, all these kind of things i read about that like, happened a couple of weeks ago and i'm like right God, i need to catch up i just don't have enough time but it just seems then it was like hundreds of newspapers and like four editions in a day and the same so it's like it's just insane one of the funny things about that is that, um, and one of the things I really like is that Sam Fuller condenses so much history of things that he clearly wants to talk about into just a, a kind of ludicrously small space where he mm. has that, the, the uh, Gene Evans character, what's he called? Uh, Phineas. Phineas invents the idea of having multiple editions. He invents the open plan office, essentially, at one point. <laughs> he helps invent the linotype machine. He helps, you know, he has newsstands for the first time. You know, there's all these kind of things that lots of people, he, the Statue of Liberty thing, which actually happened, but obviously happened to someone else. And hmm. uh, all of those things are just all kind of condensed into this this one story and this one one idea. <laughs> That's five minutes of the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. But I mean, I mean, even the linotype thing. You know, I, I remember watching uh, Park Row for the first time and immediately uh, looking up almost everything that happened in it to go, oh, which bits of these actually happened and which didn't? Because I assumed, oh, well, presumably I didn't know that much about the linotype at the time, and I was like, oh, well, presumably some guy did invent the linotype, and it must have been a little bit like this, and then looked it up, and you know, the, the guy is a real. That's the the. That's not exactly how it happened, but that's the person's real name and it is a representation of him and also you know the statue of liberty that really did happen they did the paper did kind of uh, fund for the plinth and all of these sort of things and i was like oh wow it's all of this actually happened it's just it's that thing of the journalistic thing as well you come come back to over and over again with fuller that it, it might not be quite what happened but he's getting you the truth Mm-hmm. You know the bit you need to know, really. Even yeah, even yeah. if he's kind of fudging it, well, not fudging it, but kind of presenting it in a dramatic way that's going to grab your attention. 
And that's not something that we are not familiar with from movies. So yeah. Oh, especially now. I mean, yeah. What was, what was I watching the day? I was watching the new Avengers film or something the other day, and I was thinking, God, this film just goes on forever, and there's just really not that much happening for a lot of it. And at least for kind of a Sam Fuller film, it's like it's like a I don't know, it's like a just a shot of story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just there, bang, 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 and like let's say you know, all these things are kind of happening in it, but. I, that's one of the the, the, the joys of it because I, I think like you, Craig. I went away and had a, you know, a look at kind of this history behind a lot of what was going into it, and there's some fascinating stories in there. And it was things which I, I have no interest in when the linotype was really made. But I, it's only it's like it's like watching a Ken Burns film. You suddenly become obsessed with things that you had no idea you were interested in before you started watching it. And I found that with this, and it's it, I guess when you kind of you're thinking about a film in in more ways than just its narrative, and you're kind of doing a bit of kind of research into history and things like that. That's always a positive thing for me, I think. Yeah. Have you either of you guys read uh, his autobiography? No, but no. I think no. I, I do want to check it out because I mean, he, he, yeah, this is, he was a, you know, a war veteran. He's had a fascinating life in of himself, hasn't he? I mean, I oh think... god, yeah. His um his account of uh, Normandy is just unbelievable. It's one of the most gripping things I've ever read, and uh, mm. and it, it's extraordinary reading the autobiography as well after seeing the films, or if you read it and then watch a few, the films afterwards, because there's so many bits where you're like, God, he just grabbed that out of reality. There's no, you know, there, there's that bit in uh, the big red one where um, <laughs> someone he steps on a landmine or something and he blows off his, his ball, yeah. ball, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then the, uh, Lee Marvin's character, it's Lee Marvin, right? I thought that right. Yeah, crazy. yeah. Uh, Lee Marvin's character grabs his testicle and just like throws it behind him and says, "Oh, don't worry, you've got your, you know, your penis is okay," or whatever he said. And and that's in Sam Fuller's autobiography as something that happened he he saw. And you just think, "Wow, I never would have thought that." That that just seems like a crazy invention, but <laughs> it really happened. And also, well, at least Sam Fuller said it happened. And I I take his word for it. And but also it's just like grabbed from reality as well. I just love that kind of directness as well that he had, that he he wasn't above, you look at something like Shock Corridor and Naked Kiss, and he wasn't above creating something kind of extraordinary that, that seems almost unreal. But mm. he also, there's this kind of naked truth behind it all as well. There's a, there's a rawness to everything he did. Mm. And that's something I find a little bit frustrating about a lot of directors now is that I don't feel like I'm getting much personality of them in their films. Mm. You know, when, you, when when you do kind of watch those kind of Marvel films and things like that, and you know, kind of a lot of kind of big budget Hollywood films, and they 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 seem quite sterile to me Ooh. on the basis that I kind of feel like I'm watching something that's just so pre-packaged and lacks a kind of individuality. They kind of blur into kind of one kind of rather kind of dull, kind of morphous film. And when you watch these films, I mean, you know, like. It, it's all there. This is this is like I say. This is what he thinks about journalism, and how crap a lot of it is. And I mean, I, the, the word I had for these kind of guys—they're kind of like journalistic fundamentalists. <laughs> you know, they are like they're, they're really angry about their trade. They want it to be. You know, they want it to be a lot more highbrow than it is. And yeah, it's it's very much kind of wearing his heart on his sleeve, as it were. And I, that's one of the things. I mean, like I said, when I watched the. the, the the big red one. I mean, it's aside from the fact, obviously, you can like it needed a bit, a little bit more money in it. But you do feel like you're watching a personal story. And I, I think as well, you're saying about the um, the. I don't know if they necessarily think that that's, that the 
press should be more highbrow, but the press should be more important. That it's that yeah, thing of so. it. This this uh, you know excuse the phrase, but this shit matters. Like this 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 is really important, mm. and you you can't just like do what you want. You've got to take this seriously. You know this is lives. It's this, a trade. Yeah, it's a trade. It's a it's a profession. And the only kind of I can think of a, a modern analogy that I move. My girlfriend lives in Ireland, and we go over there. Like a barman in Ireland is a trade. It's a profession. It's not something that someone does part time or you know every now and then, and they kind of think it's something which is it, when they pour a pint, they take their time over doing it. There's a kind of a, 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 a kind of an art to it, it almost in a way. You know, there's the people that are respected, and you kind of I really admire that. It, 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 obviously, it kind of you can sort of say, you know, their job's to serve drinks, but they do it with such pride and such professionalism. And I kind of got that from this film. You know, the people who, yeah, they keep saying, don't they? We're, we're newspaper men. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's this kind of real pride in saying, you know, what it, and obviously they've lost track of what that really means. And they're trying to redefine it and reinvent themselves as, as an, in an idealistic form of what they want to be and how they feel it should be. And I mean, it, it, the thing that got me to me is from, as I found it very relevant to today as well. Yeah, yeah, and also, especially with, also the time it was made in, obviously during the whole McCarthy thing. That uh, I think it was the thing as well of like not just that this is this is a trade, that this is an art, this is something that you should take care over. But this this can be life and death, and this matters, and you've got to you know you've got to fight for it. You know, the the high, uh, the idea of the freedom of the press is something that you've got to put your what do they say it's like uh, blood and ink like <laughs> that you've got to put it all into it and that's the thing of the explosions of violence as well which i i found a bit tricky the first time i watched it the the moments where he punches people and you know he smashes someone's head against benjamin franklin's statue which <laughs> yeah. is pretty blunt <laughs> but I, I watched um amy uh actually uh, on sunday and that feels like very relevant to the discussion here in terms of just how the morals of journalism have completely gone to the toilet and it seems like like every newspaper you you always have a gossip column or something you can't hardly find a newspaper that has uh, integrity i mean i i can only this to me really was the the when I just realised how th- how far things had fallen, and it was a story that was in the Daily Mail a few years ago, and they tracked down who they thought was Banksy's mum, hid in a bush, ambushed her as she came home from Tesco, and they had somehow heard that he was born with a cleft lip, and held up a picture and said, "Is this your son?" And was he born with a cleft lip? And this article was written like it was like really important, and I just thought that's just the lowest of the lowest thing to do. Yeah, it, it serves no purpose. Not in the public interest. It's just basically invading someone's privacy. It's being incredibly mean. I think you know what if this person? I don't think it, in all likelihood, it probably was his mum. And you know, do, do you think she really wants that? You know, who who's who does it serve? And then you kind of like juxtapose it with things like kind of um, Edward Snowden, which is important. It matters. You know, mm. that is a, it's as much as I dislike the journalist who wrote the story, Glenn Greenwald. I, it's still a story which has some sort of relevance to the world. It's important that people hear it. And, you know, what what is more important? Well, if you walk past the newsstand, it's, you know, the Daily Express, winter's coming, we're all going to die. And, 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 and you're paying for it. You know, it's just stuff like that. It's just complete nonsense, really. And it does sort of frustrate me in a way because it's, I mean, I, I kind of like kind of go online really for news like things like the intercepts and democracy now and things like that where you kind of seem to get kind of 
investigative journalism and news reporting that seems to actually report the story and not try to make a story from something which is completely inconsequential and uninteresting. I think there's that uh, that feeling that everyone, I'm sure, gets when they watch Park Row, where even when they do things that maybe are a little, little bit suspect, where you kind of feel like, wow, imagine if it was like that now. And it's that thing of when you watch broadcast news as well, and you get the same thing where you think the things that they're getting bothered about happen every 10 minutes now <laughs> and it's not even a question you know the, the thing that the reason at the end of broadcast news that she's so angry at him is something that i can watching tv news coverage i can tell from the editing happens every single day and yet mm-hmm. you know then it was considered a massive faux pas that you can possibly do and you just think you know these these films are that the historical point of view of watching the film for for many reasons about the filmmaking about fuller's career just the fact that it's just an incredibly entertaining film. It's fascinating to watch it from the point of view of, you know, this was made during the McCarthy period and at a time when Sam Fuller was talking about the, an idealistic view, admittedly, of the press, but one that I think probably was uh, relatively accurate and also can tell you something about the idea that people had of the press at the time. An idealistic view of the press now would be just, I mean... It would still be pretty bleak, probably, but it would just be so much better than it is now. (laughs) Mm. Um, One thing we haven't talked about is just how we have talked about it briefly, but just how the film is set in the like the late nineteenth century. And I love. I don't think I've seen a film about journalism set in that time era before, and it's a completely different sort of newspaper business we're watching, where it's very much back to the basics and it's out of these press rooms that we're used to seeing and we see these monstrous machines where it's manual labor and it's not something that i'm used to when i'm watching films like um um that uh or what's it called uh the robert redford film for example yeah it's what you seem like yeah when they're kind of the one thing that got me was like you know what about spelling I mean, my, my spelling's absolutely atrocious, and most of the people <laughs> I know is absolutely atrocious. I could never do that. You know, it's a craft and an art, and yeah. you know, these these guys are kind of, you know, they're they're literally making the words up. They're not banging them on a computer, are they? Or obviously, well, we do see something which will help in that department. But it, yeah, I, I, like, I, I, like you say, I've, I've never seen a, a, a historical film about the press set in a kind of almost Gangs of New York time where people mm-hmm. kind of walking around in top hats and, and things like that. And how did it work? And what kind of, what what I was consciously aware of was up until that point, I doubt the press in, in you know, how it's actually made had changed a great deal. I bet if you went back a hundred years, things weren't f- from there. Things weren't that different. And it's kind of on the cusp of modernity, mm. I think, you know, in terms of like kind of like, you know, the speed at which you can kind of get the, get the newspapers out and, I, I was kind of like, you know, I, I was imagining that if you've got all those newspapers, it must have been you know, if you did get a scoop or an interesting story or you're reporting the same story, the actual, you know, can you imagine trying to actually get yours out the f- first? Mm-hmm. You know, what would that, what would actually mean? How important that would be? And it, it, there was a kind of a, an urgency to the film, which I really got from the kind of the limitations of the technology that they had. Yeah. And it, it does teach you a, an awful lot about, um, because of I think because of that rusty character actually, no matter how kind of clunky it might <laughs> occasionally seem, he 
and also the funny part that I didn't mention before, the fact that Rusty just suddenly disappears after he's had his legs broken because Sam Fuller <laughs> yeah. just seems disinterested in what happens to Rusty, which I, every time I watch fine. it... I, he can't run around anymore, so there's no need yeah, for him. After I, I, every time I watch it, I kind of forget that Rusty just disappears, that he, there's that one line where uh, Phineas says something, I can't remember what he says, but basically he says, oh, he broke his legs, he's, yeah, he's never going to walk, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> back to the story. But you learn you learn so much. Like, I didn't know what before watching Park Row. I didn't know about the 30 thing, I'll, I'll confess. That was new to me, that, that yeah. you end the story with 30 or why. And, you know, all of the phrases and things that come out of them are things that I learn. It's something I remember, actually, uh, when we were talking about our first experiences with Fuller, that what, the first time I saw Park Row was around the same time I saw the... I can't remember which season it is. I think it's the fourth season of The Wire, the the newsroom series. Yeah, that's the fifth one. Fifth one. And and I watched both of them very close together. And obviously there's, you know, there's something about Simon and Fuller both coming from those sort of uh, backgrounds. Uh, And Mm. they're both different because David Simon very much throws you into it and doesn't tell you these things. But there's still a sense of them being desperate to tell you about this world. And there's that bit in the in the wire where he's saying about uh, it's the new guy who's come into the newsroom and he says something about uh, a building being evacuated and then one of the old guys points out that a building can't be evacuated. You evacuate people from a building, I think it is. And uh, <laughs> at the same time, that's the same sort of kind of idealistic view that this, not idealistic, it shouldn't be, but it is, that the, this idea that the the news matters. Like even just that one sentence, how you write that one sentence matters. It's important. And mm. I, I love that kind of through line with Fuller. Uh, it's the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, we talked uh, about the scene where basically all hell breaks loose and there's a massive <laughs> fight in the streets. <laughs> and yeah. That is just an insanely complex shot, just even by today's standard. I mean, you can well, definitely see where Scorsese got his influence. He might have been Mean Streets or something yeah. like that. And, and what I loved about it was the fact that the there's there's small mistakes in it. Like the camera sometimes loses them, or they're going a little bit too fast for the camera. But he could have easily he could have easily watched that back and gone, nah, you know, we'll do it again. But he doesn't, and he leaves it in there, and it creates this kind of urgency. And it's suddenly this is where I kind of got this whole kind of fundamentalist thing from because these guys care so much they will beat the shit out of you for it and they will they will literally you know they will behave like football hooligans that's how precious it is I mean get over the kind of the ridiculousness of like bombs going off and things like that that was kind of that that was just pretense yeah that was that was that was was, but it was like it was yeah it was it was it was dirty it was kind of there were men having to kind of really kind of you know, roll their sleeves up and fight, literally fight for what they believe in, in a very literal way. And uh, I, I, yeah, it's quite electrifying, I thought, mm-hmm. actually. I was, it, it, I guess because you're watching a film about the press and, and it seems quite kind of tame. It was saying like, God, this has got a real, there's, there's that kind of edge to this film, which I've always found in Sam Fuller, in the ones I've seen at least, they do have that kind of, a, a bubbling sense of the fact that it's very quickly things are going to get out of control. But that, a, yeah, but there's this, like this bubbling of masculinity that's always at the brink there. It's always like bubbling underneath the lid and just waiting for it to like go over. 
And I think I think it's as well though that you, it's not just. I, I think there is a little bit of like a, a, of excessive masculinity occasionally in Sam Fuller's films, but I think it's also just a a a, a kind of a sense that the characters really care so much, perhaps mm-hmm. too much, mm-hmm. about what they're invested in that that if there's a threat to it, they will do anything to to protect it and unfortunately maybe that the only thing they have at their disposable at their disposal at one point is just their fists and there's the sense of that again i i i think that you know there's two things that define fuller's career you know really obviously they're not you know it's not a great insight to say but the the, the newspaper side and also the war side and i think the war side comes in again that he's he he said that about McCarthyism that it was like fascism again, and you know that they fought it in World War Two and they tried to get rid of fascism, and he didn't want it coming back again. And it's that thing of the press are fighting against things like that, things that mm. fa- fighting. He's fighting against fascism again in his own way, and uh, he's going to try with his words, but if the words don't work, ultimately he can <laughs> still use his fists. And it's kind of again that kind of brutal reality of it. I don't think he ever thought that that was the best solution i don't think he thinks i don't think sam fuller thinks and i don't think ultimately phineas even thinks that punching a guy is the best way to get the thing but it's that thing of his backs up against the wall so much Mm. uh uh, yeah i think it's that last resort thing and it's it's bubbling under because he, he cares so much rather than maybe there's a violence underneath and i kind of think it kind of goes to the fact that this film's got a bit of romance and it's got a bit of a punch-up as well. And that sounds a bit more, I guess, you can sell that a little bit more to producers. There's yeah, there's going to be romance and a bit of violence <laughs> and, and some kind of deadlines to hit. It sounds a little bit more, um, I guess, appealing than the fact that this is a film about people writing stories. You know, it's, it, it feels like, I don't know, perhaps it's kind of pandering to the audience a little bit, perhaps. You know, it's kind of giving us that. But it's so well filmed and it's such a good sequence hmm. that yeah, I totally went wrong with it. And that. it's that thing of like, you know, he wasn't a, never, I don't think Fuller was ever above entertainment, uh, entertaining people. You yeah, know, that totally. And that's fine. And uh, yeah, I think you're right. And I think he was always, I wonder if he was a little bit disingenuous about how successful Park Row really was. Because he kind of said it was a massive flop, but it didn't do very well. But reportedly it did pretty well on television and i half wonder that the fact that he made it in black and white it was all about the fact that you know newspapers black and white and gray and uh but he made it you know in 137 he didn't go anywhere near widescreen it was black and white that plays very well on television and it's short (laughs) and there's part of me at the (laughs) back of my mind that i don't know if it's true or not but there's part of me that wonders if he had tv in mind when he was making it as well and hmm. it, yeah, it did mean, pretty it, well, it, so it's not that surprising either. Yeah, I mean, it's like nineteen fifty-two, so mm. you know he's competing against the yeah you know, the white the epics are coming in. The whole kind of roadshow format is that they're thereabouts, and it, this film isn't going to compete with those. So yeah, I think that's a really good point actually. It's, it's it you can you can put this on and get you know forty minutes of adverts in there, and that's a nice eight till ten slot. So yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and directors, you know, they're very canny businessmen, aren't they? That's the thing. Yeah, that's how they, 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 you know, they. Successful directors tend to know how to kind of hit financial gold, is it? Well, it's like you're saying the same thing about Wells. You know, Wells spent more time looking for money, it seems, than he did making films sometimes. But 
he he got the money most of the time and he you know he kept like you said he kept making films and fuller ended up in france and he made he made films for he ended up making films for tv kind of um these kind of weird slightly strange european tv movies but Hmm. you get the impression he just wanted to make a film so i don't think he was uh for all his directness and his desire to tell the story he wanted to tell i think there must have been a little bit of him that uh was trying to play to a certain audience because his films are so ridiculously entertaining. I could, I could put on, I feel like I could put on pretty much any Sam Fuller film now and just get sucked in and love it for 90 minutes because the, there's things like his, his war movies, movies, especially are just gripping. Meryl, Meryl's Marauder is, is near on perfect Sunday afternoon. (laughs) Meryl's Marauder. I mean, it's coming to that time of year where it's absolutely miserable as sin outside as well. And I, I, I can, I could just watch it over and over again. Yeah, fix fix bayonets on a on a snowy day when you're stuck in as well. That's that's the ideal movie. Have you seen the Have you seen the reconstruction of the big red one as well? By the way, I have. Yeah, yeah, I I, I really really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, it's very good. I was the same as you as well. Where I, that I watched uh, the big red one, having only seen Star Wars, and and kind of even at a young age, I think thinking that Mark Hamill was a bit rubbish because he's. Luke Skywalker's kind of a slightly wet character, really, and doesn't really yeah. do much. <laughs> and so I kind of think, didn't think he was particularly good at being astonished, really, by what he's like in the big red one. Is uh, the restoration is uh, or the the new construction of that movie is that out on Blu-ray? I think it is, but the film, the the original version, is on Blu-ray, and I, as far as I'm aware. The reconstructions in standard definition. Yeah, yeah, it's an additional yeah, because DVD. I remember it was on DVD, but I can't remember if it's been released on Blu-ray yet. Which I, I have no idea why that why that would be the case. Uh, it's the same thing they did with uh, Margaret, where they had the yeah, yeah, yeah. theatrical version of the Blu-ray. Um, I thought we could talk briefly about Gene Evans playing Phineas because he plays this. We've been sort of making fun of this like incorruptible genuine hard-working American that we're rooting for but we are actually really wholeheartedly rooting for him and he he plays the part really well for me and it kind of reminds me of like Gene Hackman when he's when he's touting his morals yeah he's got that kind of slightly grisly sort of nature yeah. that Gene Hackman's got as well and he's and he, Gene Evans I think did a really great job because uh he's very different to the sort of army characters that he he played before in fuller films uh, mm-hmm. and uh yeah like i like that he's a little at arm's length as well that he has that sort of look off into the distance sometimes and you're never quite sure what he's thinking and that that kind of bubbling under violence that you talked about as well that there's yeah. there's that sense of like you're never quite sure whether he's going <laughs> to write a really strongly worded headline or just punch someone really hard in the face. <laughs> uh, and I quite like that. There's that slight mystery, even if he's still quite a brutal, not brutal, but quite a blunt person. Mm. No, I mean, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed his performance in it. My only thing was, it was like, I was just disappointed that he, I could see why he would like charity. She's my kind of girl. <laughs> you know, I, I like deeply un, unpleasant bitches. You know, and see, and uh, not that my current girlfriend of course the other, yeah. no the other one obviously uh, yeah, yeah 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 i, I could see why he might like it but i was a little bit disappointed that he kind of went with her in the end i was like come on mate <laughs> stick to your guns but yeah i guess in the way his kind of stoicism wins over in the end and he kind of was able to that but yeah i i am um, 
it's it's one of those performances where it I, I found it I guess it's it's like there's almost kind of a Frank Capra-esque kind of characterness about him in a kind of with a bit of a Tarantino sheen. Somebody who's kind of really idealistic, but who's kind of got all the kind of the gift of the gab as well, and a little bit of kind of brutality kind of thrown in there. And he just seemed, I think he's just like a proper man's man. And I, I, I think I kind of really admired that about him. Hmm. Um, Mary Welch playing Charity. I actually really enjoyed her performance, even though her character becomes like unbelievable. I think she does pretty well with what she's given. Um, unfortunately, uh, I read that this was, this was actually her only film, and she died no. in childbirth in '58. So, boo, that's not good. Oh, wow. no. I thought she did a didn't she do a film? Got one film before it, but it was quite a small part. Okay, I, had, I, had, I thought I had a feeling she. I might be wrong. Uh, I could probably check that very quickly. But the yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think she's pretty pretty decent. I think her her character is a little bit. Uh, oh, she did something for TV before that. That's what I was thinking. Okay. Of, sorry. Um, yeah, I think her character, like we said, is a little bit panto, but uh, only in the sense of it as a villain. And so she kind of comes across and can come across a little bit silly as a result of that. But mm. um, yeah, I think you know that thing of full of painting in broad strokes again. It's when he paints a villain in broad strokes, it stands out a little bit more, maybe. Um, but I think yeah. she's pretty, pretty good and pretty good in the role. Mm. You're meant to hate her at the beginning, and you hate her at the beginning. Yeah, it does the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. That's what it. Yeah, that's what yeah. That's the thing. Actually, I think you get a lot of with Park Row. The, the bits that I love, I absolutely adore, are the bits that I think aren't great, or maybe aren't perfect, or you know, aren't up to the same standard. They get the job done, even if they're not. Yeah. They're not kind of what you think are necessarily the best choice you could have made. They definitely get the and, job uh, done. There's nothing that that falls flat. I don't think or fails. I mean, the bit, the, the bit that did sort of fail for me is, is the, I'm, the letter. You know, I'm, I, I found someone to die for. <laughs> and I was really like going, oh, my God, is this guy for real? <laughs> you know? But the thing is that even though you have these sort of moments that fall kind of flat, it just, it just powers through. And like the next minute, there's a new thing happening. So you're not left there yeah. thinking about it, basically. Yeah. So it only lasts about 83 minutes, but it's so jam-packed, as we've been saying. So you don't get time to think about its flaws because you're always being assaulted with new, interesting ideas that sometimes work and sometimes don't. So Yeah, you, you, you don't have time to sort of... Uh, going back to the Titanic analogy, you, you can watch that and some of you just like going, oh, God, some of the lines... And the moments that you're like, oh, and they go on, they go on for way too long. This is just like, yeah, <laughs> this, this, it might not work. Yeah, move on, bang, boom. And yeah, I say you, you, you swept along with it and you, yeah. you're enjoying yourself. So if you read on the box office of the film, as we mentioned, it didn't do quite well. So the following year, he did a studio pitch and that was actually Pick Up on South Street, which was a big success from what I remember. Yeah. And a really great film as well. And uh, he, yeah, like we, said, like, like we said about some, I mean, I think Dow's, I think this is the, the deals that he had with studios was kind of like one for us, one for you, as it were. Mm-hmm. And um, like often, that often happens, I think, with um, directors who have those types of arrangements. It's often the personal ones that don't do so well, but because they kind of, they go and do those big blockbuster ones. I think Steel Helmets was a massive hit 
from what I recall. Yeah, it made a it made yeah. a hell of a lot of money, and he I think he yeah. basically got offered deals at every studio and went went with Zanuck because he liked him. Because um, yeah, it made a ton of money for for what it was made for as well. And I think it was that thing of that war films had hit a point where they were starting to get very similar and he made a war film in a very different way and that it i think it was because of that that truth angle again that he 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 cast aside anything that he thought was overly romanticized yeah. or false yeah i mean because i mean war films one of my kind of favorite genres and there was a kind of a, something that happened a lot in the 50s with war films was suddenly there was kind of like a real appraisal of the war Mm. And and how it was kind of presented, especially in British war films. But I, I think obviously, like, like the, the early ones. I mean, it's like the, the. Have you ever seen like the first Vietnam film, The Green Berets? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just absolutely, it, it, it's unbelievable. And I, I can't I can't it, remember it, which one it is, but Sam Fuller. I'm pretty confident he got offered a film with John Wayne to star in the lead. And turned it right. and turned it down and kind of said something along the lines of that you know nothing against John Wayne he was great and all but you know it, it would just be unrealistic and he knew it just would be nonsense that it wouldn't be the war film that he would want to make yeah and you watch those early run of World War Two films and they are pretty bad you know that they're that they're all my they're so clearly made by people who weren't there where. Being killed, being shot is this completely painless death. You just put your hand over your chest and fall over, and that's it. And they're pretty embarrassing in a lot of ways. And what you kind of have is a kind of a reappraisal going on. And certainly, it was the first kind of um, there was a kind of slew of uh, biographies that came out. Um, I think one of them was called "Helmet for My Pillow," which was one of the big ones. Some of the people in one of the characters in the Pacific, but these kind of like made people reappraise the war and see how just you know horrendous it was. And I think. Directors like Sam, people like who had lived through it, went started making their films, and they showed the kind of the harshness of them and the fact that you know they weren't full of kind of heroic characters. I mean, you read any kind of account of the war, and, and, and it was a, you know people were struggling to survive. You know, the 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 more they survived, the more the longer the war, and the more they wanted to survive. And these kind of heroic deeds kind of weren't happening. And I think I think Sam Fuller, he was his war films. I definitely think reflect that. There's a kind of a business light to him, which is like survival, hmm. which is obviously what you know war is. You know, sadly, you know, it's the people. You obviously kind of, it's the people that come back that write the stories, isn't it? You know, the ones that don't die. You know, they don't. That's it, isn't it? You know, that they're the ones who kind of couldn't make it. And I think there's a kind of a, 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 a sadness to that. And I think that's you see that in a lot of those kind of, of those latter films that came out in the fifties dealing with the subject i saw um steel helmets um not long ago actually and it i love that film it was absolutely brilliant and one of his masterpieces i think um but i was kind of reminded of uh kubrick's film fear and desire did i know you pick up that connection yeah there is a definite definite similarity in a way Uh, and uh, but one of the things i like kind of i was thinking about what you were saying tom and also it does it really applies with fear and desire as well is that uh, with Sam Fuller, if he comes out and makes a war film that says war is brutal, ugly, people shoot prisoners of war, horrible things happen, it's not, you know, there's not necessarily heroism, people are trying to survive. And he says that as somebody who came back with a purple heart and, you know, did all these incredible things during the war that are on his war record. 
And there's a slight difference between that and someone who intellectualizes the idea of a war and says it's brutal and ugly. You know, I, I'll sit here and say that I think, you know, war is awful and disagree with so many things about the way that we do, that we live our lives. But, um, I've never been and I can't say what it's actually like. And there's that thing with Sam Fuller that there's the, this kind of, uh, you know, I suppose I keep hanging on about it. This kind of like truth of that he's saying it from, from personal experience that, even someone like Kubrick, who said something so beautifully uh, in many of his films, didn't actually experience it. And there is that direct experience that does make such a hell of a difference. And it shines through, I think. And it does still help me, I think. This is a DVD release, obviously. And I don't think I would want this uh, to get a Blu-ray, not in the transfer that it has. I don't think it would do anything good for it. I watched it um, DVD on my projector. And you know what? Upscaled. It looked pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I said, I don't think I, I'm not crying out for this one to be upgraded, and um, I don't really think it, there's not a lot you can do with it, really. To be honest with you, I think it's just fine as it is. Um, I feel sorry for DVDs sometimes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I must admit that was actually uh, when I was thinking about films I wanted to talk about, and I thought, oh, maybe Park Row, and then well, when I thought, well, I didn't think, oh, maybe Park Row, I thought, oh, Park Row, <laughs> and then I thought. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, it's a DVD. And then it kind of made me stop and think, oh, maybe I should pick a Blu-ray instead. And then I thought, no, if anything, I kind of want to pick a DVD to uh, to kind of like highlight maybe one of the ones that I tend to have a habit of looking at my Blu-ray shelf before I look at my DVD shelf of a film to watch. Yeah. And it's a, it's a terrible <laughs> habit because there's so many amazing films that haven't made it across to Blu-ray. So. Yeah. Hmm. And, and do you know what, as well, when I pick up... The- DVD boxes and they're massive <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like oh god they're not, they're not VHS they're still good <laughs> and especially when you watch it's that thing as well if you kind of yeah, my memory plays tricks me a little bit and I sometimes watch a DVD and I'm like wow some of these DVDs look amazing <laughs> especially the, the, <laughs> totally like the master cinema I mean this one's got you know that you can see where the elements weren't perfect but it's a very very good looking DVD and then I watch some mm-hmm. Blu-rays no, by big too. companies you know the, there's certain companies that do pretty shoddy jobs there's some Asian films that I see uh, especially like Hong Kong films I've been watching a couple of the Johnny the new Johnny Toe Blu-rays and they look awful and this this DVD mm. looks better than those Blu-rays do so <laughs> it's, it's not necessarily a question of, oh, you know, Blu-ray's necessarily better. Nah. So, Craig, where can the listeners reach you online? Uh, well, uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter, to be honest. there's a We're having a little bit of a hiatus at Film Divider at the moment, but I will be writing there again. And, uh, yeah, if you if you follow me on Twitter at Skinner, you can find everything that I write. Great. And Tom? You can find me on 24framescast.blogspot.com. You can find me on Twitter at 24framescast. And uh, you can find me on Facebook. And mine's um, Tom Jennings. And there's a picture of me looking really miserable by the Berlin Wall. <laughs> Great. And you can find us at moccast.blogspot.com. Uh, send us an email at mastersofcinemacast at gmail.com. Or find us on Twitter at moc underscore cast. We're also on Facebook at mastersofcinemacast. So... Hit us a line there. Right, Craig, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Tom, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. And listeners, until next time, goodbye.